Let's go to David Barnett. Most of us know David Barnett, but in case anybody doesn't, what's your story, David? Why are you here? Well, hey, Ted, thanks for having me over. Um, I'm a former business broker, and that those were the days back when you and I first met. And uh, today I work still helping people buy and sell businesses, but as a consultant rather than, than as a, a broker. And um, I've, I've written some books on the topic, and I've got a YouTube channel where I answer people's questions. And I work with people like the searchers in the audience every day. So I'm, I'm, thanks for inviting me along, and I'm eager to share a few things and hopefully be helpful as well. Okay. How about Nancy? Nancy Fallen Hull, talk to us. Hello, Phobes. Thank you, Ted, for the opportunity. I'm a business lawyer, business transactions lawyer. I do uh, corporate securities and M&A, business acquisitions, and I write legal documents in plain English. Came out of a large downtown Chicago firm, and now I'm in a small Chicago suburban firm with myself and two other non-lawyers. Thanks. Okay, folks, the reason Nancy's here, we've all worked with lawyers. We know that a lot of them like to bloviate and charge us for it. What I like about Nancy is that she says she writes agreements in plain English. I'm not kidding. And that's one of the biggest flaws in pre-LI due diligence. Having advisors who just don't know how to say things in fewest words. And when it comes to documents, particularly legal, saying it so people can, what, understand it. All right, I'm Ted Leverett. I'm the original business buyer advocate. I'm not a business broker, never have been. And for more than 30 years, I've been helping, well, over 100,000 entrepreneurs and advisors worldwide. They've bought my books, they've taken my trainings, they've hired me. We handle things like creative finance, deal-making. I've personally coached about 1,000 clients. And this is important. I've trained 298 independent advisors. They don't work for me. They're not in my company. I trained them to better serve people buying and selling companies. So anyway, you want to sell a business or you want to buy one. And I, I think we have a couple sellers. So I will put in a few words on that today. Guess what? Your fund's going to begin right now. Well, it actually begins during preliminary interactions between buyers and sellers and anybody else on that deal-making table. What people told me what they wanted to know in this program is, what do we need to know right now so we know whether or not it's smart to exchange information? Sellers need to know about searchers and vice versa, but it's a very touchy issue. The good news for some of you is most people don't know what to do about it. And that's that's good if you're a searcher because it just means your buyer competition is not very competent. Preliminary due diligence is not for do-it-yourselfers. And I know most people who try to buy a business, they are do-it-yourselfers. They have the guts to go out on their own. Trust me, until you have people on your team who actually know what they're doing and can hold deals together, the chance of you doing a deal is real low or a bad deal is real high. We're going to try to demystify pre-LOI due diligence. And I said it in the, the marketing for this, defective pre-LOI due diligence enables dumb deals. It's why so many searchers cannot make a deal or they buy the wrong businesses or they buy the right businesses on the wrong terms. 
and may, sellers, it's also why hopeful owners lose the opportunity to sell. Okay, this is Dan Precourt. He's a searcher. So he's going to give us a couple of minutes to tell us his story, because in here will be some things that, that I think you need to hear. He's, uh, my name's Dan Precourt. As Ted mentioned, I'm a self-funded searcher. I'm currently active in my business search process. I started my first business when I was 21, and it's a business we still operate today. And a couple of years ago, I sold a business that we built uh, over a 10-year period. And now I'm looking for my next opportunity. Yeah, it's, uh, thanks, Ted. It's been something else. I'm sure I'm glad to have the help of Ted and others uh, to keep me focused. Uh, it's an entirely new endeavor. And anybody on here that is searching uh, can no doubt relate. Finding deal flow is challenging and getting prepared has to be the key to understanding the process because otherwise I think it's really easy to drown in what you become faced with. The brokers have a way of dealing with you that uh, you may not be entirely familiar with. You know, if you are fortunate to have some personal deal flow, those folks may be keen to talk to you, but if you're unprepared, that's going to be challenging because they're not prepared either. And then if you're doing, you know, if you're, if you have gone through the process and you are doing a proprietary search, well, that just introduces a whole new set of challenges that, that you really, really, really can't prepare for until you actually are in, in the process and maybe have practiced a couple of times with maybe a broker. My experience so far has been that the emotional side of it has to be part of the toughest challenges that, that I've faced. You get so excited about a deal and an opportunity and, and the people that you're working with, they don't have the same goals that you have. They want to sell, you want to buy, but they want to sell for different reasons than you want to buy. And you don't have the support that you might have in a situation where you're trying to sell a good or service that you've been doing in your previous, previous career, uh, where you guys are all headed, you know, down the same path. And I've found that really challenging to deal with. And thankfully Ted and others have helped me to stay focused, but a few things that I would share with folks that, you know, that, that are really, really important to help manage that situation is first, you got to have a great team. You got to have somebody helping you to stay focused. Your, your lawyer, your, your financial advisor, accountant, uh, if you have a, a buyer coach, Ted or David, you know, somebody that's going to help you make sure you stay on track. And listen to what they have to say. I have to admit, being a business owner, I sometimes am um, not quite as focused on what people are telling me as maybe what I want to do. And one thing that got stressed to me was keep the deal flow coming. And I didn't understand the importance of that. And truly, when I look back at deals that have either not happened for the right reasons or perhaps an opportunity may have been missed, the one factor that stayed constant was the emotional side of it. And if I had other deals to look at, I think that you have a clearer perspective and you're not just focusing on that one home run that's going to get you out of this process and, you know, onto 
the next phase of your career or your life. Okay, Dan, let me pick up where Dan left off. And we're talking about what happens before you even begin searching. <laughs> one, of the, one of the considerations we just need to get is preliminary due diligence begins in the first words you see here expressed to a broker, an owner, anyone on the playing field. This is your first opportunity to assess your risk and your value. The biggest tip I think I could give you right now is begin with your end game in mind. You need to know exactly what you need to accomplish in terms of timing, return on investment, you name it, all the criteria, search for, you need to have that nailed before you're out talking to anybody about what you wanna do. If you don't do that, then you get to practice on the field. And that's a sign of an amateur. And believe me, brokers and owners don't need amateur searchers. The other, the other thing that keeps coming up, and I get asked it in every one of my coaching sessions, is what's the purpose of preliminary, preliminary due diligence? For some reason, people have all these checklists and they want to do a deep dive. No, preliminary due diligence is the cut to the chase. Here you're, you're, you're asking, is this buyer or seller worth pursuing? If not, get the hell out of there. And you know what? Besides not knowing how and when to conduct this preliminary diligence, these ill-informed searchers and ill-advised searchers, and same for those unprepared sellers, they miss the whole point. What we're trying to do in the earliest moments is get people to a deal-making table or abort them and to do it safely and sooner. The other question some people ask, and if they're not, they better, it's, it's why is this so important, the preliminary? Well, because most people do it wrong, that's why. So it's better to find out what you're buying before you buy it. If you're selling the business, you can't afford to expose yourself to unworthy wannabes. These are those searchers who uh, you know, have gathered information, anecdotal from other searchers. Forget about it. If you're not talking to somebody who knows what they're doing in search and they can't show you exactly how they're going to carry you through the preliminary due diligence all the way to deal maker, if they can't show you that in a believable way, sellers, just dump them. Dump them. Now, when you're going to submit an LOI, keep in mind there's this drivers of business valuation. Yeah. And what do sellers look at first in your LOI? Dan can tell you the first thing they scan through that five page, six page document and looking for a dollar sign or a euro sign <laughs> or a pound sign. They want to know what are you what are you offering? What's the price? And sometimes some of the savvy buyers even put in their what? Valuation rationale. Now let's talk about that. I'm going to do more on this later. This rationale. Do you express it in a range or do you do what most people do? Take it or leave it. Is there a methodology? This is a biggie. Is there a methodology for adjusting the offering price on the basis of what the seller told you during pre-LOI diligence and what you later discover after you've signed that LOI and your informal due diligence? You know what? This is, this is, this is the most touchy issue in the creators deals, including deals that ought to happen. You better have an advisory team that's adept at reasonably defining the price and it needs to be open for modification. If you don't do that, you're gonna lose a lot of opportunities to your buyer competition. You gotta handle it with kid gloves. You can't just blurt out things. I think what I'd like to do on this topic of what's the scope of 
due diligence before the Alawite. Nancy, why don't you chip in here? I, I'll just make a one sentence as she's getting her mic ready. What's the scope before Alawite? Well, I think it's to, identi it's to identify enough of what you need to know to submit a reasonable and flexible letter of intent. So Nancy, talk about that and, and related kinds of things that anticipate what this agenda is. So folks, sit back and listen. Great. So of course, I'm going to give you the legal perspective since I'm a lawyer. So I'll do this in two short parts. One is some very basic legal due diligence that if it doesn't pan out, then walk away. And then another are three different types of examples of business due diligence that's tied to legal due diligence. So on the very basic, you know, before you submit an LOI, certainly the seller could provide you with an articles of incorporation or LLC formation, the, the name of the entity that they're actually selling. And don't laugh because plenty of times I've seen people who are selling the business, but they have the IP assets held in another entity. And you got to make sure you're getting, you're buying the one that's got what you want. And then who are the owners of this entity and are they all on board with selling? The reason this is key is I've seen situations where, for example, a family business where one brother wasn't going to agree to sell the business. We got pretty far down the LOI uh, process and he said no. So the deal was off. Better find that out way in the beginning. And if there's any equity issued to employees or other people, you'd want to know that because it's possible that anybody who's got an ownership interest, or it's probable that anyone who's got an ownership interest is allowed to approve or deny the transaction. So now on some business due diligence that affects legal, back to Ted's comment about Elon Musk. It's comical to watch what, what happened there. If you're buying customer accounts in an asset purchase deal or in a stock purchase deal, Make poke around in those accounts and make sure that they're sound, that they're real, that they're all existing, and that the that the seller has company records for for all of them. Remember, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Elon Musk learned late in the Twitter acquisition deal that Twitter could not confirm how many of the accounts he was buying were either fake accounts or unverified accounts. He was buying the Twitter accounts. That's the first question you should have asked was, you know, prove to me that these are all real accounts. If you're buying simply intellectual property assets, then make sure they've got the IP protected and both on a, a filing side and an agreement side. Trademark is filed if it's got a brand or a, a brand name that you're buying. Intellectual property agreements, licensing agreements, either to or from the seller, depending on what type of company non-disclosure agreements and non-compete agreements that protect the IP from walking out the door after you buy the company and employment agreements with the key employees that assure that their creations belong to the company. And then I'll talk more about employees in a minute. And then internal culture and processes for protecting trade secrets. If you're buying the talent or the workforce executives, people, then check into that talent and make sure that you're getting all of them or getting the best of, of what you need. 
So obtain from the seller a list of employees by name, location, role, title, compensation. Are there employment agreements in place for the senior and key employees? Are they well compensated? People aren't well compensated, especially in today's market with the great resignation and two jobs available for every person. You either your seller or you has got to make sure that they're well compensated and they're going to stay. So are there any equity comp plans? If so, get a copy of those. Do the people look like uh, real employees or are they perhaps just subcontractors that the seller is describing as employees, but they're not legally employees? And on that same topic, uh, check and make sure the employees who are listed, check them on LinkedIn and make sure they're not employed by other people as well as the seller. No joke, there are people, there are developers who have two full-time jobs out there getting paid full-time. And make, make sure they all look legit, their experience is relevant, at least online. And then if you have time in your due diligence process, which as we know is short, because you've got to submit this LOI quickly to beat out other people who are submitting. If you've identified some weaknesses in the business issues, zero in on due diligence on that. It'll smoke out the issues that'll tell you if you should walk or stay. Thank you. What I want to talk about is the email that Nancy sent me before this show. What really hit me, and she said it probably better than I've said it. She said, decide what you're really getting with this company, what you're buying, and go start your preliminary due diligence there. Because if it doesn't pass that sniff test, what's the point? And guess what? Those of you who've spent money for lawyers and accountants in due diligence, you waste that money if you don't find out what the big driver is. Let's talk about the driver of preliminary diligence. First of all, get rid of those boilerplate checklists. They will shoot you in the feet. Trust me. If they don't shoot you, it'll be like Elon Musk. It'll shoot your target in the foot. Only dig deep on what's most important to you in that preliminary due diligence. Remember, the LOI is your opportunity to get the hell out of there if in formal due diligence some really bad stuff happens. Get that signature of that owner so now you have a captive that you can go farther with. The other question that comes up is how deep is enough or too much for pre-LOI diligence? How deep is enough or too much? Well, my opinion is gather the minimum amount of pertinent information you need to submit a well-crafted letter of intent and to decide whether you need to abort the opportunity. Make that quick and make it pertinent. Pertinent being the key word. What I see in pre-LOI due diligence is the kitchen sink questions being dumped on owners and brokers. They're not going to put up with it. And if they do, you better worry because it means there are no other buyers sniffing around. And that's not a good thing either. Okay, now what, speaking of, what if buyer competition is present? This was a popular re request by some of you. Oh, guess what? You have to outbid the most ignorant buyer. It's just that simple. That's what buyer competition is. So one of the most important things I do is we help buyers avoid or beat the competition. It's that simple. If you don't do that, you get to outbid the dumbest one. And that happens because we upfront create a marketing plan to differentiate you, differentiate you from the rest of these people who are kind of like winging it. So here's a big tip. Instead of giving brokers and sellers yes, no choices, get conversations going about how about this or how about that? 
In other words, from the get-go, you're trying to create a conversation. You know what? Sellers and brokers are right. They say things like buyers are like buses. Another one will be buying. Well, they are. David, you're going to come in, I think, right about now. I'm going to talk, I'm going to just say a one sentence about what's the optimum timing before aborting or submitting an LOI. Nancy said, get her done. Well, how much time should elapse? Well, it depends. Listen up. It depends on the motivation of the buyer and seller, and which is bigly, like that word, I only picked that one up three years ago, which is bigly affected by the degree of buyer competition. And guess what? Whether a broker is orchestrating the process. So David, come in here and talk to us about what you've heard up to now. Sure. Thanks, Ted. Um, I think that, um, you know, let's, Let's talk about this amount of time, first of all, because there's a huge difference, obviously, in being able to gather your preliminary information between a business that's being represented by a qualified business broker versus uh, maybe an independently sourced deal where the seller is unprepared. And one of the greatest resources that buyers have, and when, when I ask buyers sometimes, what is your greatest resource? A lot of them will think towards their down payment money, the cash they have available, their credit, you know, all that sort of thing. But I would argue that a buyer's greatest resource is actually their time. And I've come to this conclusion after meeting buyers who've spent years looking for businesses. And one of the biggest problems that they have is that they are out there doing uh, window shopping instead of grocery shopping. And if you can think of those two different styles of, of shopping, you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. If you go into a mall and you're just looking at what's on display in the windows, you can be distracted by all kinds of different things. And when buyers enter the scene where there's a business for sale and they're unfamiliar with that industry and unfamiliar with that business, then they don't know what's important to look at before they get that LOI on the table. And so this is why it's so important, I think, to have a well-defined target of what kind of business you're looking for. What are your criteria? What is the industry? Because every kind of industry is going to have its drivers of value. And so some, it, this is the big difference between someone who's already in a business looking to acquire, you know, to grow through acquisition. They understand the business. They know what's important in that business, and they're going to ask specific questions about those things. A well-prepared package from a qualified broker is going to give you a lot of those numbers. And you, you know, you can submit an LOI and say, subject to due diligence, assuming everything's been presented is true. You know, this is the kind of deal we're willing to work on. If you're, if you have an unprepared seller, then obviously you're going to have to gather a certain minimum amount of information in order to make that offer. The second place where I see people do a misstep is that they they will get this idea that the offer needs to somehow be perfect. And so they'll engage in what I call negotiating against themselves, where they'll think about what they would like to offer. And then they worry that it won't be well received. And they try to anticipate what the seller might counter so that they can modify their offer to be more in line with what they believe will be the ultimate deal, which you can never prejudge because the whole point of making an offer and entering into a negotiation is to learn what is important to the seller. That, I mean, you offer what's going to work for you, they're going to let you know what parts of that don't work for them. And so getting that offer on the table so that you can actually get to the constructive uh, negotiation is an important part of getting to the end. And 
if you're fumbling about because you don't understand the business yet and you don't know what to ask for, well, that's what leads to these delays in time, like Ted was saying, and gives ample opportunity for the more qualified, savvy, and informed buyer to ask the key questions and get their LOI in before you can. Hey, why do you think I get hired? Almost nobody hires me because they just wake up one morning, they want to buy a business and they say, you know what? I need a really great advisor. Uh -uh. They hire me when everything goes wrong. So here's what goes wrong. What goes wrong is whatever you're doing or the other side of the table does, it shouldn't be done because it's going to stifle the opportunity. And these are two things, overdoing it, which too many people do in preliminary due diligence and underdoing it, which is what the people who don't know anything do. <laughs> so look at David said it, you got to get a read on the expectations of the seller and buyer. And you better get the expectations of the broker down too, if there is one. What is their respective scope and timing and desired outcome? You need to ask them, don't guess, and get an agreement on the scope of this preliminary due diligence, the timing for it, and what they expect from it. If you don't do that, you're just leading them blind. Owners get real nervous about this. Meanwhile, other buyers are chipping away. Remember what I told you? It's important, you. To, Ted, to say on, on that scope issue you're raising is let the seller know, I'll have a, lots of due diligence questions later, but I'm simply focusing on the things that are that are most efficient, read between the lines, most important to me, but you're not going to say that. The things that are most efficient to get a small amount of information to be efficient and get you the LOI as quickly as possible. So on your point, Ted, about the long list of due diligence, don't throw that away, save it, but highlight a few things that are really important to you. And, and Ted, you're right, but I think you should tell them ahead hey, I only have a few things I'm going to ask you about now before the LOI. There'll be more later. I'm going to make one more point. You know, this relates to what I said at the beginning of this program. Please write this down. The non-financial factors trump the financial. It doesn't matter what the financials say. If you screw up or the seller or the broker screws up the relationships, the non-financial factor, there'll be no deal. And the non-financial factors, I created a, an acronym called CELBS, C-E-L-B-S, customers, employees, landlord, bank, suppliers. That's where the action is. These are the people that know the truth about the business. Did you notice the owner's name wasn't in there? Or the seller? No. Customers, employees, land base. So what we're trying to do in this preliminary due diligence, and sometimes we have to get it filtered from the owner, we're trying to get a reading on that stuff. Okay, look, it's like peeling an onion. Yeah, you have that big list. We're trying to build rapport. Yes, you're going to have to touch on a few touchy issues. But if you camp out too hard on it, man, you're talking to an owner and this is his baby. So be careful about that when you can blast them maybe at the end of formal due diligence when you're hammering out your purchase agreement, which differs from the LOI. But don't do it in pre-LOI or you don't get a chance. Hey, Dan, you want to come in here? Have you seen how it's important to delicately handle issues and mostly what? Relationship build? You there? Absolutely agree. I find it really fascinating, actually, if you use a light touch at the beginning, particularly when you're first meeting these folks who are a little less prepared to just do that rapport building and relationship building. And next thing you know, a lot of the questions you might want to ask, they're telling you.
you know, what's happening in this due diligence, particularly the, the preliminary, it's unique. That's why, that's why I don't like these checklists, these uh, long lists of questions. It's going to be unique to your kind of deal, your kind of company, what kind of transaction you want, and who the people are. If you don't tailor make your pre-LOI due diligence around those, those variables, uh, you're pissing in the wind, okay? Okay, now, but wait, one more thing. I only have about 100 more words. As for underdoing it, if you fail to probe some of the most important issues, you get to spend money for that LOI. And if you underdid it, it means you didn't learn enough. Sellers will eagerly sign those things because they love your errors and omission and they get the negotiating advantages. Okay, so remember David said valuation drivers, you better write it down because good luck trying to change them after the LOI. You better get that stuff discussed. Just keep in mind, I'm, I'm done on this pre-LOI pre stuff. All you're trying to do is set the stage for deal making and to capture the attention of an owner so you can control the time to do the deal you want. Okay, what about this one? I almost didn't put it on the list, but it's on it. You guys asked for it. What if the seller or bank demands my personal guarantee? Well, why don't you just consider whether the opportunity makes it worthwhile? And know the various ways to negotiate that personal guarantee. You don't have to take the document someone gives you. If you want information on that, send me an email. Be sure you put in the subject line, Ted, share with me some information about how to negotiate a personal guarantee. I'll send it to you. It's what I give all my clients. You're going to get a freebie, but I'm not doing it now to take an hour. The next one, well, what if the seller won't partially finance the buyer? Well, guess what? Look to create a financing. I just don't understand why more people don't do this. Again, email me. Say, Ted, send me your most creatively financed deal. I'll send it to you. Copy it. It works on almost any kind of deal. Not all, but any. Oh, by the way, I got 499 other creative financing ideas. <laughs> Quite a few of them. David Barnett helped me work on to tweak them for Canada. In my book, How to Get All the Money You Want for Your Business Without Stealing It, it's at partneroncall.com. Go download it. All right, this is where we're going to draw in uh, our panel. <laughs> what if the price buyer is proposed is not justified after the LOI? I think I'll let David or um, Nancy talk about this first. I only have about 50 words on that. You want me to go ahead? Okay, so if you, you, know, you make an offer based on the information that you had beforehand, and then you get into due diligence and you discover that uh, you made a mistake and the business is worth much less than than the offer you made, then you've just uh, benefited from the due diligence process because now you either get to renegotiate at a lower price or you avoid making a big error in overpaying for a business. Nancy, do you have anything? Sure. Include a sentence in the LOI that the offer you're making may be adjusted based on the results of due diligence. And yes, you can change your offer after the LOI to answer the question you posted, Ted. Okay. For that reason, you know, for that reason, <laughs> things didn't shake out. So I'm making a different offer. All right, folks, if you're still here, I am about to give you the most controversial thing I'm known to say. It pisses off brokers. How do we handle when you know it's not worth what you said it was in the LOI or thought it was? It comes up a lot. You're going to experience it. 
you're going to find out after you've paid money or spent the time to write that old lie. Remember, these owners do not like giving up what they thought they were getting. So you're asking them to change something that you, I don't care you, you say it's non-binding. To them, it's binding. You need to be thinking about this. The pricing multiple, this is where the brokers get pissed off. The pricing multiple relates to the degree, it relates to the degree of risk and opportunity. The multiple is applied to whatever value indicator, value indicator you're using, such as SDE or EBITDA or pre-tax profit or after, who cares, after-tax profit, it's whatever you're multiplying that multiple by. But keep in mind that that multiple is a risk factor. I'm promising you nearly all buyers get this wrong. Brokers know this, but they're not going to tell you about it. So the multiple and the value indicator, they're not static. And that's why it's a good idea to, to talk about this pre-LOI with brokers and sellers and everybody else on the playing field, including your advisors. Because if you get this wrong, like most people do, um, you're going you're gonna to buy the wrong business or you're going to buy the right business on the wrong terms or the seller is going to reject your LOI. So spend a whole lot of time on this price multiple and realizing it's a risk factor. All right, can you change the uh, LOI? <laughs> can you change my LOI after uh, after I give it to him? Well, yeah, you can. Doesn't mean anybody's going to accept it. Anybody out there, any of you searchers have had that experience where you submitted an LOI and you put a number in and later you discovered it was so wrong that you just had to change it? Did you find that the owners just gleefully changed it for you? The broker told me to go take a walk when I tried to retrade. So, on the other hand, business brokers are masters at creating buyer competition. That's your kryptonite. That's the thing that kills you buyers. So, just think about what my clients do. We go direct to owners and preferably owners who haven't even thought about going for sale. You might just write that down. There's a question or a comment from John's called it a hypothetical of whether when you offer an LOI, but then the recession kicks in. I think your question is, John, can you can you change that LOI offer based on economic factors? And I'll just answer that from the legal side and say, you should definitely have a condition in your LOI that A, if due diligence pans out and B, you could add something like assuming economic factors remain the same you know, and you could even say something like we're, you know, we might be heading into a recession and might change my, my offer. Okay. For those of you going to follow up with the broker, write this down, go out and talk to owners that are for sale by owner, or that could be, because you know how to approach them. Don't wait for brokers. All you're doing is giving time for buyer competition. Dan Precourt could probably talk about this if he wants to. Do you want to mention anything about that, Dan? Sure. You know, I'm, I'm still licking my wounds a wee bit. We uh, dealt with a, a business that uh, I was, in fact, Ted pointed out at one point in the process that, you know, hey, don't you remember at the beginning, you said you weren't interested in this business? And it was just uh, something that I ha never had on my radar. And I did kind of fall in love. I believe they call that buyer fever. I had a strong case. And the broker set things up like a lot of homes are sold these days where he had showings 
and he gave us an opportunity to do some fairly involved due diligence pre-LOI and then allowed us the opportunity, and, and I say this sarcastically, the opportunity to submit an LOI on a date, uh, the same date that several others would be presenting their LOIs and you know, then the seller would obviously choose his dance partner. Okay. None of you mentioned it, but I'm making sure it's in this program, financial due diligence pre-LOI. We don't have days to cover it. We have minutes. Two words, cash flow. Write it down. That's it. Period. That's all you need to know. Does this business cash flow now? Will it cash flow on the various deal scenarios you anticipate? If so, give them an LOI. Anybody else want to talk about financial due diligence? Now I'm sure you got to ask some questions to prove that, but anyone else want to talk about financial due diligence? What's appropriate for pre-LOI? Maybe ask the seller how much compensation the seller is paying to him or herself and the executives. Sometimes owners don't pay themselves much. And if you're buying a company and you want to make a living out of this business and there, there's not enough money in there to pay you a salary, then run. And it's not just the salary, you know, the business brokerage field, they have at their annual convention every year, they go to this magic class. And in the magic class, they learn how to do seller discretionary earnings. Those are called the addbacks. They even use the word nor normalization. Just about all those ad backs, the business is going to have to spend the money for it, folks, period. So if you're adding it back and then using that risk multiple, three, four, five, whatever, you just did a really dumb thing. Another very basic thing that people can do pre-LOI is just to know some of the industry benchmarks for that particular industry. And if they see that the subject company has a gross margin that is significantly different, uh, for example, it's one of the questions you can ask, you know, how is it that your gross margin is so much larger than your peers or, or is, is lower than your peers. And just to, to reveal that you have spent some time learning about this industry and you're not new. That's a pretty, pretty good one. I get that same question, David, all my clients, they present to me what they're digging up in their search. And it's generally a variety of business types. And what we need to find are the ratios that pertain to them up front. Because see, if you talk about that to an owner, forget the broker. If you talk about it to an owner, he realized you know enough about the business that maybe he ought to think about you as a buyer. You know what's more important? The non-financial factors. That's what we want to talk about in preliminary due diligence. Because if you don't know how to manage the non-financials, that means the relationships with owners, brokers, sellers, employees, landlords, all those people. And if you don't know how to manage the process of due diligence, don't know how to organize it, well, you're going to really piss off the other side of the deal-making table. And you're going to lose oper you're going to lose big, big opportunities. Too many searchers leap into the financials and they beat the owners and the brokers to death. And guess what? It rarely works out well. For I know some of you um, use the word agnostic. Ted Leverett, write it down. Ted Leverett thinks that's the most naive thing you can do and say. We don't do that. Just we begin with the criteria, your acquisition criteria. And part of that is what kind of business and maybe what geography. Because if you don't get that right, you're on a wild goose chase. You're just flapping around out there, wasting time, wasting money. 
The problem with business brokers and you is if you go to brokers and one day you're talking about one kind of business, the next day another, and you say to them, well, I really don't know. You know, they, you know, they've got to wonder, why should I show my best listing to this person? This is a, somebody, a window shopper. But we do want a diverse group. And I want Dan to talk about just how diverse have you gone without exactly trying to go diverse, just because of the way we're searching. You don't have to tell us the kinds of companies, but give us some clues. Because guess what? We're looking, I've seen five or six of them, and they're all juicy opportunities. And I'll bet none of you have it on your acquisition criteria, because we sure did not. Dan, talk about it. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, I, I like a lot of folks, I I tried to focus my search at the very beginning on a, a fairly specific, you know, you know, manufacturing style business. And then of course, narrowed it down to, you know, uh, you know, metal manufacturing, let's say. And what happened actually, and it came about by accident, was that I was having trouble searching, actually finding uh, enough targets but as a result of the data that you get from trying to get these lists from these list companies all of a sudden some of these random companies popped up on my list and I ended up you know well what is this and it turned out that they checked a lot of the boxes that I actually was really keen on but you know I had no idea these companies existed now, of course, the, the question still remains is how do I find more of these companies that I never knew existed and don't know how to find? But, you know, there's a lot of value in searching because that activity did, in fact, you know, create these other opportunities that I just was never, ever aware of. Hey, you. That's right, you. Have you been looking to buy an exciting and profitable business? Are you tired of searching? but only finding barriers that impede you from owning a wonderful business. Well, have we got some good news for you. You can find and buy the right business the right way. And you don't have to go it alone. For over 30 years, author and transaction advisor Ted Leverett, the original business buyer advocate, has been helping buyers worldwide achieve win-win done deals. Ted Leverett says, you can't buy it if you can't find it. You see, Buying a business is all about search, because if you can't find it, you can't buy it. It's about being best and first. First on the scene with sellers and being the seller's first choice and top of mind for brokers and sellers. And most importantly, avoiding buyer competition. What about having to compete with other buyers? Well, you have to outbid them, which is a good way to pay more than a business is worth. Searchers do better with a winning business buyer marketing plan. And that's where Ted Leverett comes in. He'll help you prepare a winning plan. And then he'll guide your actions so you can find and then buy the right business the right way. But searching is not enough. The reality is too many people buy the wrong business. Or they buy the right business, but on the wrong terms. That's why, if you want to buy the right business the right way, it makes sense to have Ted Leverett, the original business buyer advocate, on your advisory team. And one of the best ways to know what the savviest searchers and buyers do is to read Ted Leverett's books, How to Prepare Yourself and Find the Right Business to Buy, and How to Buy the Right Business the Right Way. You can get them at his website, partneroncall.com. Don't chance it. Right now, go to partneroncall.com. Get the books. 
and schedule a free and private telephone conversation with Ted Leverett. You can do better if you contact me and we build or improve your searcher marketing plan. You can learn more about searching by reading my book, How to Prepare Yourself and Find the Right Business to Buy. And my other book helps you achieve worthwhile deals, How to Buy the Right Business the Right Way. You will save time. You will save money. You will achieve better deals if you do what the savviest buyers do. I'm available to help you deploy the tactics and strategies from my books. You can get them on Amazon. So, I'm Ted Leverett, the original business buyer advocate with Partner on Call Network. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.